Section seventy one of The Man Who Laughs by Victor Hugo. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Clay Beecham. The Man Who Laughs by Victor Hugo. Part two, Book the Fourth, Chapter Four. Ursus spies the police. As we have already said, according to the very severe laws of the police of those days, the summons to follow the wapentake, addressed to an individual, implied to all other persons present the command not to stir. Some curious idlers, however, were stubborn, and followed from afar off the cortege which had taken Gwynplaine into custody. Ursus was one of them. He had been nearly as petrified as any one has a right to be, but Ursus, so often assailed by the surprises incident to a wandering life, and by the malice of chance, was, like a ship of war, prepared for action, and could call to the post of danger the whole crew, that is to say, the aid of all his intelligence. He flung off his stupor and began to think. He strove not to give way to emotion, but to stand face to face with circumstances. To look fortune in the face is the duty of every one not an idiot. To seek, not to understand, but to act. Presently he asked himself, what could he do? Gwynplaine being taken, Ursus was placed between two terrors, a fear for Gwynplaine, which instigated him to follow, and a fear for himself, which urged him to remain where he was. Ursus had the intrepidity of a fly, and the impassibility of a sensitive plant. His agitation was not to be described. However, he took his resolution heroically, and decided to brave the law, and follow the wapentake, so anxious was he concerning the fate of Gwynplaine. His terror must have been great to prompt so much courage. To what valiant axe will not fear drive a hare? The chamois in despair jumps a precipice. To be terrified into imprudence is one of the forms of fear. Gwynplaine had been carried off rather than arrested. The operation of the police had been executed so rapidly that the fair field, generally little frequented at that hour in the morning, had scarcely taken cognizance of the circumstance. Scarcely any one in the caravans had any idea that the wapentake had come to take Gwynplaine. Hence the smallness of the crowd. Gwynplaine thanks to his cloak and his hat, which nearly concealed his face, could not be recognized by the passers-by. Before he went out to follow Gwynplaine, Ursus took a precaution. He spoke to Master Nicholas, to the boy Govicum, and to Phoebe and Venus, and insisted on their keeping absolute silence before Dea, who was ignorant of everything, that they should not utter a syllable that could make her suspect what had occurred that they should make her understand that the cares of the management of the green box necessitated the absence of Gwynplaine and Ursus, that, besides, it would soon be the time of her daily siesta, and that before she awoke he and Gwynplaine would have returned, that all that had taken place had arisen from a mistake, that it would be very easy for Gwynplaine and himself to clear themselves before the magistrate and police, that a touch of the finger would put the matter straight, after which they should both return. Above all, that no one should say a word on the subject to Dea. Having given these directions, he departed. 
Ursus was able to follow Gwynplaine without being remarked. Though he kept at the greatest possible distance, he so managed as not to lose sight of him. Boldness and ambuscade is the bravery of the timid. After all, notwithstanding the solemnity of the attendant circumstances, Gwynplaine might have been summoned before the magistrate for some unimportant infraction of the law. Ursus assured himself that the question would be decided at once. The solution of the mystery would be made under his very eyes by the direction taken by the cortege, which took Gwynplaine from Terenzo Field, when it reached the entrance of the lanes of the Little Strand. If it turned to the left, it would conduct Gwynplaine to the Justice Hall in Southwark. In that case there would be little to fear, some trifling municipal offence, an admonition from the magistrate, two or three shillings to pay, and Gwynplaine would be set at liberty and the representation of chaos vanquished would take place in the evening as usual. In that case no one would know that anything unusual had happened. If the cortege turned to the right, matters would be more serious. There were frightful places in that direction. When the wapentake, leading the file of soldiers between whom Gwynplaine walked, arrived at the small streets, Ursus watched them breathlessly. There are moments in which a man's whole being passes into his eyes. Which way were they going to turn? They turned to the right. Ursus, staggering with terror, leaned against a wall that he might not fall. There is no hypocrisy so great as the words which we say to ourselves, I wish to know the worst. At heart we do not wish it at all. We have a dreadful fear of knowing it. Agony is mingled with a dim effort not to see the end. We do not own it to ourselves, but we would draw back if we dared. And when we have advanced, we reproach ourselves for having done so. Thus did Ursus. He shuddered at the thought. Here are things going wrong. I should have found it out soon enough. What business had I to follow Gwynplaine? Having made this reflection, Man being but self-contradiction, he increased his pace, and, mastering his anxiety, hastened to get nearer to the cortege, so as not to break, in the maze of small streets, the thread between Gwynplaine and himself. The cortege of police could not move quickly, on account of its solemnity. The wapentake led it. The justice of the quorum closed it. This order compelled a certain deliberation of movement. All the majesty possible in an official shown in the justice of the quorum. His costume held a middle place between the splendid robe of a doctor of music of Oxford and the sober black habiliments of a doctor of divinity in Cambridge. He wore the dress of a gentleman under a long go bear, which is a mantle trimmed with the fur of the Norwegian hare. He was half Gothic and half modern wearing a wig like La Mognon, and sleeves like Tristan Lermite. His great round eye watched Gwynplaine with the fixedness of an owl's. He walked with a cadence. Never did honest man look fiercer. Ursus, for a moment thrown out of his way in the tangled skein of streets, overtook, close to St. Mary Overy, the cortege, which had fortunately been retarded in the churchyard by a fight between children and dogs a common incident in the streets in those days. Dogs and boys, say the old registers of police, placing the dogs before the boys. 
A man being taken before a magistrate by the police was, after all, an everyday affair, and each one having his own business to attend to, the few who had followed soon dispersed. There remained but Ursus on the track of Gwynplaine. They passed before two chapels opposite each other, belonging the one to the recreative religionists, the other to the Hallelujah League, sects which flourished then and which exist to the present day. Then the cortege wound from street to street, making a zigzag, choosing by preference lanes not yet built on, roads where the grass grew, and deserted alleys. At length it stopped. It was in a little lane with no houses except two or three hovels. This narrow alley was composed of two walls, one on the left, low, the other on the right, high. The high wall was black and built in the Saxon style with narrow holes, scorpions, and large square gratings over narrow loopholes. There was no window on it, but here and there slits, old embrasures of pierrier and archgaze. At the foot of this high wall was seen, like the hole in the bottom of a rat-trap, a little wicket gate, very elliptical in its arch. This small door, encased in a full, heavy girding of stone, had a grated peephole, a heavy knocker, a large lock, hinges thick and knotted, a bristling of nails, an armor of plates and hinges, so that altogether it was more of iron than of wood. There was no one in the lane, no shops, no passengers, but in it there was heard a continual noise, as if the lane ran parallel to a torrent. There was a tumult of voices and carriages. It seemed as if on the other side of the black edifice there must be a great street, doubtless the principal street of Southwark, one end of which ran into the Canterbury Road, and the other onto London Bridge. All the length of the lane, except the cortege which surrounded Gwynplaine, a watcher would have seen no other human face than the pale profile of Ursus hazarding a hall advance from the shadow of the corner of the wall, looking, yet fearing to see. He had posted himself behind the wall, at a turn of the lane. The constables grouped themselves before the wicket, when Plain was in the centre, the wapentake and his baton of iron being now behind him. The justice of the quorum raised the knocker, and struck the door three times. The loophole opened. The justice of the quorum said, By order of Her Majesty. The heavy door of oak and iron turned on its hinges, making a chilly opening, like the mouth of a cavern. A hideous depth yawned in the shadow. Ursus saw Gwynplaine disappear within it. End of section 71